A fabringen, in Yiddish a term meaning a joyous gathering, but it's really so much more. It's insight, it's inspiration, it's the bottom line. Join Rabbi Levi Avton, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. for the Fabringen, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9, this is Rabbi Levi Avton from Linksfield Shul. It's a privilege to be here with you on this Tuesday, the 7th of Adar. Um, it's a beautiful day in the Jewish calendar. Today is the birthday and the yard site of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses, our leader, who lived exactly 120 years. We're one week before Purim. It's a good time of the year to fabring, to discuss, to have a conversation. As always, you can be part of our conversation by SMSing 34519 or Telegram 0618951019 or tweet at ChaiFM. So let's start with a bit of music to get us into the mood. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avtson from Linksfield Chol. Hope you're doing well. It's a great day. The weather is a little better than the previous days. I guess each day's weather is beautiful in its own way. So here we are, just before Purim. Yesterday, there was elections in Israel, lots going on, lots of conversations, lots to talk about, and Purim's in a week, and that's what's on my mind. Now, when people talk about the holiday of Purim, inevitably, it goes in certain directions. Not always, but, okay, so inevitably would be the wrong word. Very often, it goes in the directions of anti-Semitism understanding why in the world would they want to kill us, talking about why God's name is not in the Megillah and the hidden hand of God, the power of the Jewish woman and Esther, standing up at the right time, playing your part, etc., etc. One thing that we often think about but is worth exploring on this uh, broadcast is... The question of Jewish continuity sounds very cliche, but let's explore it. There's always something to talk about, always a different angle. If you would bring 50 Jews into a room and try to find what they have in common, other than obviously a shared heritage, but I'm talking about opinions, You wouldn't find that much similarity across the board, but I think what you would find across almost every single kind of group of of thought is a consensus that there should be Jewish continuity, that it would be nice and it would be good if in a 100 years' time there were Jews still alive. I remember that uh, it's a famous anecdote that in the year 2000, um, New York Times made a make-believe front page of what the New York Times is going to look like in a hundred years' time in 2100, and which happens to be actually the first of January, I believe, in 2100. As if that makes it any difference to you, will be on a Friday. Now, the New York Times on, on Fridays every week has the time of candle lighting, the Shabbos candle lighting for all those who want to light candles, 
and they put in on that page of 2100 the candle lighting of that month, of that Friday night, because pretty much one thing they're sure is that there's still going to be Jews reading the New York Times candle lighting, which was a beautiful anecdote. We're 20 years later, and obviously we're still lighting candles. But most people from any civilization would strongly believe that they would like their culture and civilization to be alive in a hundred years' time. It's something that goes very deep. Now, we can argue what that culture is, and very often we do. What is Judaism? What does Judaism have to add to the world? Why are the Jewish people here? Why is there anti-Semitism? Is there meaning? Is there this? Is there that? But somehow, regardless of how we interpret it, there is this inherent agreement that we would like to be here in a hundred years' time, that in the year 2120, there should still be a Jewish community around. Now, we could explore why that is. Why would people want there to be a community in a hundred years' time? Because you just want to feel that your life was meaningful and that somebody's continuing it because we've been here for so long that it would be a shame if it was lost. Maybe many different ways of approaching it. But most people would agree that, if not all people would agree, that we should be here in 100 years' time and that anything that gets in the way of Jewish continuity is not a good thing. If it gets in the way and it interrupts it and it doesn't allow us as a culture and as a religion, as a faith, as a nationality, as a people, to be alive in a hundred years' time, that's a problem. So then the automatic question that's led, it leads to, is what are the simplest and truest forms of guaranteeing that there is a Jewish community in a hundred years' time? And that's where the conversation becomes... I'm thinking the word controversial or uncomfortable or awkward because we have to face, when we reach that part of the conversation, we have to face certain truths. What keeps the civilization alive? What has kept the Jewish people alive for 4,000 years? And... At a time that we're at, a week before Purim, when we read a story how 24, 2,500 years ago there was a character by the name of Haman who wanted to destroy the Jewish people, all of them who lived at that time under the Persian Empire, we ask ourselves, 2,500 years later, we're still gathering as a community next Monday night with graggers, and we're going to wave them every time we hear the name Haman, and we're going to dress up a bit out of our comfort zone, and we're going to have parties, and we're going to enjoy the day, the happiest day on the Jewish calendar. We're going to give gifts to the poor. We're going to offer gifts of food to each other. If you drive around Joburg, you'll see tons of signs from various organizations encouraging people to use this day to donate. It's a day that generosity comes forth. We're told on this day of Purim, Kola Poshet Yad Nostimla, whoever extends their hand, we put 
money in their hand w- without questioning. It's not the time to be discerning, but rather we just give. And that's actually, according to some opinions, the reason why people wear masks on this day so that they don't have to be embarrassed when they ask for money. They could just ask. We don't know who's asking, and we give them. And we're wearing a mask, so they don't know who's, who they're asking from. And it's all fantastic, and no, no um, sensitivities are hurt. So at this time, as well in a month's time when we commemorate the holiday of Pesach, uh, Exodus, we have to ask ourselves intellectually honest questions. And what I mean intellectually honest is often we ask questions only if the answer will feel good. We, ha- we ask questions and we look for answers as long as it fits within comfort zone. I often say as a rabbi that giving a speech at the pulpit, I could almost predict based on the content of my speech, which people are going to like my speech and which people won't. The people who won't usually won't walk over to me. People are very polite in this town. But the people who like the speech, you'll see that they're they're glowing. So, for example, if it's a speech that's more conservative in its approach, then you'll have the conservative-minded people in the community walking over and saying, that was a great speech. If it's a more what's called so-called liberal approach, in other words, you seem to come across as open-minded and understanding and tolerant, then certain people that identify in that way of thinking will walk over and acknowledge the speech because it really resonates. But intellectually honest and the journey of seeking for answers cannot come with with any preconceptions. It cannot come with any agenda. It has to come with a purity of thought. So what do you think? is the secret of Jewish continuity. Why are we still here? And how do we guarantee that we'll be here in a 100 years? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Before we go forward, I would love to play for you a song. This is the Purim medley from Kinderlach. It's a song, a bunch of Purim songs that you might recognize here on 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, Rabbi Levi Yatsen from Linksfield Chol. We're into the conversation. That was a beautiful song of good energy on Purim from the Kinderlach, a bunch of Purim medleys. So, before the break, we spoke about having an open mind so when we have conversations. And I actually, before I continue the conversation, I wanted to have an open mind about, I want to talk about having an open mind in conversation. Uh, how do we start this? Most of us are subjective beings. Not most of us. All of us are subjective beings. We have a heart. And a heart means that we take things personally. Although everyone tells us, don't take things personally. But that's the way we are. Things are personal. Even if someone's not attacking you, even if it's a piece of knowledge, the fact is that the reason you resonate with certain topics more than other is your heart just pulls in that direction. So, for example, if you're a numbers person, you would love to have a conversation about numbers. Somebody who's not a numbers person would hate it. History. One to- For one person, history is amazing and like cannot enjoy anything more than discussing, you know, Roman archaeology. And for the other person, it's the most boring thing that literally they would want to pull the hair out of their head. So even objective knowledge is very often subjective 
whether it stays in our head, whether we want to hear it, whether we get pulled. You know, as a, a community, we often offer lectures, and it's interesting what resonates with people. The information is objective, but we have subjective relationships to objective information. So, most of us, when we have conversations, specifically about things that are very personal to us, we come to it with a lot of preconceived notions. We come to it quite defensive. We come to it with a limit of how much we're willing to listen to, usually very little. We come into the conversation with a lot of stuff that we want to say, but with very few things that we want to learn. So when you sit across a a group of people and you have a conversation, it's rare that one person can convince other people of something that they're not convinced of already, and that is because the second you're saying something I'm not convinced of or that negates my worldview, I will automatically, as a human being, become defensive, think of how to retard, think about how to respond, think about how to attack, think how to defend myself from the onslaught of an idea that might make me uncomfortable. And what's interesting is that very often the more insecure I am in my own ideas, the more defensive I am from your ideas. In other words, if I'm confident in the legitimacy, in the substance, in the foundation of my own ideas, then I won't be threatened by yours. Because, okay, let me hear. If the, if it has foundation, I might, and it has basis, I'll try to see how it w- fits into my worldview and to my basis. And if there's a negation of facts, I'll have to work it out in my own head. But I'm not threatened. Very often, when I feel threatened by an idea, it's because I'm not 100% sure about what I believe or what I think myself. And therefore, as long as I don't have to confront the complexities and the contradictions in my own thought process, I'm fine. But the moment that you put a mirror in front of me and you force me to face the faults of my logic... I'll become very defensive. That's the human condition. That's what we do. And all too often, we become defensive. We do become defensive. We're not willing to have a honest conversation about stuff that mean a lot. So I'll give you an example. Let's say right now I want to talk about how to be a good parent. Not that I figured it out by any stretch of imagination. But let's say for argument's sake, I did. Or let's say I thought I did. <laughs> And I came over here and said an idea about parenting that was so out of the water for you. For example, you as a parent, you believe in very laid-back parenting. And I come and sit there saying laid-back parenting destroys children. It doesn't teach them grit and conviction. It doesn't make them disciplined. At some stage, your ear will be closing in and you'll be saying, I don't want to hear you. This rabbi is so irrelevant. My gosh, where he got his ideas, I'm telling you. Yeah, of course, it's because he grew up in a, you know, ultra fanatic community. That's why I talk, et cetera, et cetera. You'll create conspiracies in your mind or half truth conspiracies. Why I think in a certain way and somehow you can now relegate me to the extreme. And now I, you don't really have to take my ideas seriously. Let's say I spoke about marriage and I spoke about how I figured it out, which, again, I don't claim to. And I start saying things that are very different to the way you understand marriage and, in a way, undermine the way you think of marriage. 
like what you thought makes a good marriage, I'll come and sit there negating and actually say that's a way to destroy your marriage, you won't want to hear it. That's Of course, why would you? Uh, first of all, you'll think that <clears throat> as a speaker, I'm just pontificating. And I'm, I'm personally offending you. By the mere fact that I'm saying an idea that you disagree with, I'm offending you. But why is that the case? Why by m- me or you sharing an idea that the other one disagrees with is that offensive? Why can't that be the bedrock of a conversation? Why that can't we have an objective conversation as much as possible without bringing emotion in and to have an honest, beautiful conversation? And often when we talk about things that are deeply personal, as we said, marriage, parenting, and I would say faith. Faith definitely goes into that category. When we talk about what makes the Jewish people a nation, what could create Jewish continuity, which was the topic that we started today's show with and where I want to get back to, that topic is, it makes people uncomfortable. It does. As long as I'll say what you want to hear, then great. Then you're, you're one of us, then you're so open-minded, Rabbi, you're fantastic. I totally agree with what you're saying. You're on point, obviously, because I said exactly what you wanted to hear. We agree. But what if I said something that is totally against the way you think? Now, who, I'm not saying I'm right or you're right, but I'm saying, let's say for argument's sake, I come over here and I present a, a case for Jewish continuity and what makes Judaism survive that makes you uncomfortable with some of the life choices you make or some of the perspectives you have. Chances are you're not going to walk over to me after the show if you bump into me in you know one of the kosher butcheries and you won't walk over and say, Rabbi, you know, that sheer, that speech you gave a Chayefem, 100%, you're on point. No. You'll be like, gosh, why did I turn on the radio from 1 to 2 in the afternoon on this Tuesday? What was I thinking? And let's just go straight you know, to another radio station. Or just continue listening while in your head just playing games like, you know, proving how ridiculous I sound. Point is, you, as a group of people, we cannot have honest conversations until we approach these discussions with an open mind. Until we're willing to ask real questions and be willing to go down the rabbit hole as far as the rabbit hole allows us to go. In other words, to go and go and go, even if it makes us extremely uncomfortable. So as as a case in point, you know, I've been giving after this long introduction, Jewish continuity. What is the secret of Jewish continuity? So you could tell me Israel. Well, no question that Israel has played a huge role in our history, but the fact is for 2,000 years we were away from Israel. We prayed to go back to Israel, but we 99, 95% of us were not there, and yet the nation survived and thrived. As a Jewish nation, we've survived more years out of Israel than in Israel. So although Israel can be part of the answer, you cannot say that what creates Jewish continuity is a location on the map, regardless of how holy and beautiful that location is. How about culture? Gefilte fish, kichel, herring, pecha. 
Knedlach. Kitka. Blah, 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 blah. Hamantashen. Latkes. Apples dipped in honey. How about all that stuff? Well, here's the issue. That's only one of the cultures of Judaism, and that's not even 2,000 years old. That's a few hundred years old. It's from Eastern Europe. If you grew up in Iraq or Morocco or um, Rhodes or even Ashkenazi Jewish communities in other parts of the world, not necessarily do you have those traditions. Gefilte fish is not a Jewish food. It happens to be a Ashkenazi Eastern European Jewish food that lasted for a few hundred years based on the fact that it was cheap to make. It didn't have any bones in it. It was a very practical solution. You could put a lot of sugar and a lot of carrots in it and it still somewhat tastes like fish. I remember a relative of mine, they they brought into this country um, ready-made gefilte fish, the wraps. And whatever, they, they declared it at customs and the customs uh, checked it and they say, uh, sir, you could take it back, but in case you're wondering what percent fish is in your f- so-called fish, believe me, it's less than 50%. It's mostly sugar, carrots, and uh, matzah mill, and God knows what else. Fine. So gefilte fish is a nice Jewish food, uh, Ashkenazi Jewish food, but it's not the secret of Jewish continuity because chances are if you bumped into Moses in the desert, not chances are, I'm pretty much 100% confident that the Jews in the desert and the Jews who lived in the time of the first temple, second temple, and pretty much 85% of Jewish history never heard the word gefilte fish or knedel. Believe it or not. Can you believe it? Huh? A, a Jew a thousand years ago that didn't really eat knedlach. It's a modern food, relatively. It's nice. It's a beautiful culture, but we're not alive today because our ancestors and us eat knedlach. And what's going to guarantee us in a hundred years' time has very little to do with what's on our soup bowl or on our dinner plate. What are your thoughts? This is 101.9, Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9, Chai FM. Wow. Craig... Thanks for being here. It's good to be here. We're in the middle of a conversation. Oh, gosh, this conversation has been all over the place, but I hope that uh, th- there's, at least as a listener, you feel a coherence. Basically, what we've been trying to say for the last half an hour is this idea that when approaching subjects, we have to come with a open, clear mind with the ability or at least with the desire to have an objective conversation to look for the truth for what for the sake of the truth and to take the logical conclusion of conversations to heart even if they're negating hard-held personal preference and belief that we've had for a very long time because that's the only way we can truly change when we hear the truth and be willing to embrace it, even if, if subjectively it doesn't feel comfortable. And then we started having a conversation about Jewish continuity. What guarantees Jewish continuity? Is it a landmass? Is it food? And the answer is no. These things are very important. Tradition is important. Culture is important. Land is important. Clothes are important. But all those things are not the answer. So often people will say customs. 
customs are important, and truth is customs are very important. But one thing we can accept is that customs also evolve, and that the customs that many of us have today, 2,000 years ago, we didn't have. So it's not a specific custom. You know, a person will say, for 2,000 years, we've been davening from uh, Siddur X, from this specific Siddur, but that's impossible, because 2,000 years ago, there wasn't any Siddur X. Um, they only came up with the basic baseline of the Siddur uh, 2,400 years ago at the beginning of the Second Temple era, and then until it devo- evolved into a Siddur and the various Nusaks, the various um, you know, modes of prayer with small differences, whether it's Ashkenaz, Sfar, Tzfardi, Chabah, Arizal, etc., all that stuff took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, and it's pretty much only in the last thousand years plus minus that um, even maybe even less that there's a difference in a lot of the customs, and many of our customs, which we consider you know very personal and very close to heart, are literally in the last two three hundred years. So again, they're important in no way negating them, but they're not the answer. And very often we think that these things are the answer, and that's why we get very personal about our customs. We get very defensive about somebody taking away the food. How dare you take the kichel away from the Shabbos bracha? And listen, you know, if you want kichel at the Shabbos bracha, then have kichel at the Shabbos bracha. But believe me, there's no commandment in the Torah to have kichel at the Shabbos bracha. And that's not what's going to guarantee that your grandchildren will be Jewish if they eat kichel every Shabbos at 1 p.m. Very little correlation between the two. So what is the secret of Jewish continuity, as blunt as possible? Judaism. In the words of Rapsad Yagon, one of the great sages of the Dark Middle Ages, he says, Our nation is not a nation only through its Torah. In other words, what other, ma- he, he does a double negative, Ein Ella. But our nation is only a nation through its Torah. He's not saying that somebody who keeps Torah is part of the nation and someone who doesn't keep Torah is not part of the nation. No. There are many good people, many Jews, proud Jews, or not proud Jews, or 100% Jewish, regardless of what they observe or what they don't observe. That's not the point. Every single one, every single person who was born to a Jewish mother, who converted um, to Judaism, is 100% Jewish. He was talking about Jewish continuity, that what makes the nation last, what makes the generation last, that your grandchildren and great-grandchildren will still be proud Jews, is Torah. You're Jewish no matter what. Your Judaism is beyond doubt. Who you are is who you are. But why should your children want to continue the faith? Why should they choose to marry Jew? Why should they choose to raise their kids Jewish? And the problem is that although your Jew- your Jewishness stays 100%, if they choose to marry out of the faith or they choose to totally assimilate, then within two, three generations, even if the children are halachically Jewish, they might not even know that they're Jewish. It's amazing how many times I've met people in in my life, um, met people on the street, specifically doing outreach, who are Jewish and had no idea they're Jewish. You'll walk over to them and say, are you Jewish? They'll be like, yeah, I'm a quarter Jewish. Oh, tell me about it. How are you a quarter Jewish? Well, my mom's mom... My great-grandmother was Jewish. Which great-grandmother? Oh, from my mother's side. Oh, you're, it's, it's the matriarchal line. Oh, my gosh, you're 100% Jewish. Really? I had no idea. I would argue that there's hundreds of thousands of people in the world today who are Jewish and have no idea they're Jewish. And then there are 
untold millions of people whose ancestors were Jewish, but they're not Jewish because the bloodline of the matriarchal line of Judaism broke through. So unfortunately, they, they're no longer part of the Jewish faith, although they might have Jewish blood and they might um, identify it. So how do we create Jewish continuity? The answer that Rabbi Sadia Gan offers, and the truth is history offers, is Torah. And I don't want to use the word tradition, because tradition is often used as a substitute, as we spoke in the last few weeks. It's used as a substitute for, like, the foods we eat, the culture we have, the siddur we daven. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about not our tradition, but rather our heritage. Putting on tefillin. Eating kosher, sitting around the table at a Shabbos meal, davening, connecting to the Torah, the eternal Torah that we read about, that was given at Sinai over 3,000 years ago. That is what keeps Judaism alive. It's observance that is passed over from generation to generation that keeps Judaism alive. Now, obviously, we could have... Lots of conversations of how to best pass over observance. Is it by stuffing it down the children's throat? No, that might backfire. Is it through conversation? Is it through creating the habit of Judaism? Is it through the habit and the conversation? Is it through studying uh, the, the intellectual part of Judaism, you know, which is, which is fortunately the majority of the Jewish body, uh, Talmud and mysticism, there's so much intellectual stimulation. What is the secret of how to do it is a very different conversation of what it is. But I think that if you're objectively honest with yourself and you're willing to look at history and ask yourself which Jewish communities have survived throughout history and have survived since Sinai to Purim from Passover to today, it's Torah. It's when we hold on to the Torah. It's when we keep on studying the Talmud. It's when we keep on putting on tefillin. And the truth is that it's not only us as Jews say it, but even the anti-Semites, we, very often, not very often, all the time, whenever the anti-Semites try to destroy us, the first thing they did is burnt our books. There's v- various speeches um, from, you know, the Nazis and the communists and different people throughout history referring to Jews as the Talmudists, as the Halachics, and saying that the only way they're going to uproot the Jewish culture from this world is through uprooting Torah. And that's why before they burnt bodies, they burnt books. Our nation is not a nation, will not survive the next hundred years without Torah. We need Torah in our lives. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. So on this coming Monday, the 9th of March, Monday night is going to be the Chag of Purim, the holiday of Purim. And at about 7 p.m. in shuls across the community, in senior centers, in various spaces. We, Jews across the country and across the world will gather and will read once again the story of the Megillah, Megillah's Esther. The story about a Jewish queen with courage to save a nation and of her uncle Mordechai, cousin Mordechai, and his incredible wisdom and tenacity. 
will read about the faith of the Jewish people who, although they lost their way, came back to God wholeheartedly and beautifully and turned life their lives around and literally took their decree from destruction to salvation. It's a beautiful Chag. I often say, I'm not sure I'm right, but I often say, if Jews would come to Shul on Purim rather than Yom Kippur, maybe they would come to Shul more than, a few more times a year. I mean, if you're coming to Shul once a year and all you're hearing is uh, you're starving and you're going to a long service and reading from a book, if that's not your comfort zone, then chances are you're not going to want to do it for the next 12 months. But if you come to Shul and there's only a half an hour reading of the book, and then everybody dresses up and plays music and has games and has a lachayim and eats great food and parties and celebrates Jewish pride, chances are you'd want to come more often. Try it out Monday night, Tuesday morning at a Shul near you. Take in this incredible Chag of Purim. Go Google what Purim's all about. Search up the four mitzvahs of the day, what we do on the day. Make the day beautiful and meaningful. It's an incredible Chag in the Jewish calendar, and it's something that for your children and grandchildren and for you can create such beautiful memories and pride in your Jewish heritage, in your Jewish culture, or rather in the Torah. It's one of the great holidays of our tradition. It is the holiday that we're told that even when Mashiach comes, the final Redeemer, it's going to still shine in its brightness as a beautiful Chag of faith, of commitment, of joy. This is 101.9 Chai FM signing off, Rabbi Levi Yatsen from Linksfield Shul. And this final song is Oy Rebbe in Hebrew by Yonatan Scheinfeld here on 101.9 Chai FM.